Welcome to the Iconic Women by Icon Group podcast. In this podcast series, our talented women and guests share their inspiring stories of chasing opportunities, overcoming challenges, and living an iconic life. On today's episode, I'm joined by Colleen Kennedy, Varian President of Proton Solutions and Chief Growth Officer. Colleen has a clinical radiation therapy and medical physics background and has been a prominent member of the Varian team since 1997. In 2017, she achieved the Silicon Valley Business Journal Women of Influence Award and continues a lifelong commitment to improving cancer outcomes around the world. Thank you so much for joining me today, Colleen, on our podcast. Uh, can you, we'll get, just get straight into it. Um, now, you're the president, the Varian president of Solutions uh, and Chief Growth Office. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that involves? Absolutely, Alicia, and thanks so much for the opportunity to join you here today. I have such respect for the ICON group and the terrific work that uh, you and the entire ICON team do. It's For me, it's a, it's a real honor to be a part of this podcast. Uh, so, uh, Varian, as uh, many people in ICON know, uh, we have been um, in the field of, of treating cancer uh, patients and providing technologies and solutions, I should say, to healthcare providers who do treat cancer patients for 75 years. Our vision is a world without fear of cancer, and you know our view is that we'll probably never find a single silver bullet for cancer, but if we can turn it into a chronically managed disease, uh, we'll have done terrific work in partnering with key opinion leaders around the globe to help cancer patients along their journey. Um, some people in ICON may know that uh, Varian was officially acquired just last week on April 15th by Siemens Healthineers. And we're very excited by the combination of our two great companies because we think it will absolutely accelerate our ability to move along that entire cancer patient journey from diagnosis to therapy to survivorship and follow-up and the opportunity to touch more patients around the world with our technologies um, uh, in a very cost-effective price point. So I'm very excited about the company, our vision, and where we're going as part of a Siemens Health and Earth ecosystem. I've been with Varian uh, a little over 23 years. I've had multiple roles uh, before my stepping into my current role as president of Proton Solutions and chief growth officer uh, for the last two and a half years. And it's really just been an incredible journey for me working in a great company and having the opportunity to help cancer patients around the globe. Yeah, wonderful. So, um, you know, wow, 23 years at Varian, like you must have seen a lot there and a lot of growth, like you're saying now with this new chapter with Siemens um, Health and Ears. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you've seen throughout your time at Varian? You know, it's uh, it's amazing. My background is clinical. So um, I am an RTT, uh, went to medical physics school as well. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really, I think, given me an interesting perspective over the last, I'll say, 40 years. I'm not sure I want to admit to that, 40 years. <laughs> um, but it's just, uh, for me, extraordinary when we think about what's happened with respect to cancer care. And, and, and I'll speak specifically to maybe my area of, of expertise of, of radiation therapy. You know, when I was a student, we would treat patients APPA. You know, if you were being really sophisticated, you'd do a four-field box um, you know, with some very, very simple blocks and maybe you would do a, a dose calculation through the central axis and maybe one slice at superior and inferior borders. And that's if you had a physician who was really on the cutting edge and pushing things. Um, you know, it's where we are today. 
and machines that, um, you know, I remember when multi-leap collimators were new, uh, when we had uh, portal imagers were actually liquid ion chambers. That's when they even existed before we, uh, or after we uh, were very many years of just putting a film underneath the patient on the couch itself. You know, and when a machine leaves the factory today that doesn't have a multi-leap collimator, doesn't have an onboard imager attached to it, along with a a portal vision imager, you look at it and you're like, what's wrong with that machine? You know, and then you finally realize that it's missing some of those key elements that we take for granted as we moved very, I'll say, as a, as a community into uh, image-guided radiation therapy, IMRT, and on the proton side, looking at intensity-modulated proton therapy and the advances that have been made in brachytherapy as well. It really has been extraordinary and as we look to the future, you know, incorporating artificial intelligence, digitalization, and uh, looking at really um, modifications to a patient plan that's customized throughout their entire course of therapy and adaptive therapy. So for us, you know, what's on the horizon is just as exciting as where we came from. And the journey has really been extraordinary and is really benefiting patients from an outcomes perspective. Yeah, it is incredible to see how far that technology has come, hasn't it, in, you know, just in the last 10 years? Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say you're, you're, you're spot on, Alicia. You know, the last decade in particular, I think we have seen uh, the technology and the sophistication of its utilization uh, by clinicians around the globe has really accelerated. And it's all down for the benefit of the patient um, and really looking for those better outcomes and quality of life and survivorship. Yeah, absolutely. So Colin, going back to uh, the beginning of your career, like you said, starting out clinically, can you tell me, um, I guess, the start of your career path and how how it led to where you are today? You know, it's interesting. I I just um, gave a a talk um, uh, earlier this year to a a women's group uh, within Varian. And it was interesting because they, you know, they're very interested. When you've been in a company as long or a field as Mm -hmm. long as as I have, you know, people want to know what were those kind of key decision points uh, Mm -hmm. for you in your your career? You know, and, and, and I'll just simply say it started by the fact that uh, everyone in my family has been touched by cancer uh, in some way, <laughs> excuse me. And, you know, when you think about it, it, it really does impact people around the globe. And if it's, if it's not you personally and individually, it's someone in your family or a close friend. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about potential opportunities of what I could do uh, in my career, uh, going to a program that really helped uh, frame for me what I felt was a really tangible opportunity to help cancer patients, Uh, you know, and it would be in a very different way uh, than I do today. You know, and I I went to uh, RTT school, started out as a a therapist or radiographer, and, uh, you know, from there thought about other areas where I could grow and learn. I learned about dosimetry. I became a department manager Um, went to grad school for medical physics. And, you know, at that point in time, I I made the decision to pivot uh, and go into the commercial world because I thought I could impact maybe thousands of patients, perhaps Mm -hmm. if I had a long career in the clinic. But if I went to the commercial side, I could have the opportunity to help millions of cancer patients around the globe. And and that really was a key pivot decision for me. And uh, I've worked for a small software company. I've worked for a large multinational Um, And every step along the way has been just a learning opportunity. I've had lots of different mentors, 
men, women, teachers, family along the way, um, and influencers that have helped shape, you know, how I view uh, the work that I do and the opportunity. And it, it really is quite humbling, to be quite honest with you, to have mm-hmm. the ability to make the right um, uh, investments um, that uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, in the hands of, you know, uh, excellent ha- healthcare providers can help patients. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there that you've been lucky enough to have some great mentors there. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, who they've been and how they've inspired your career moves? You know, I, I have been um, uh, a sports, um, well, uh, not only an aficionado, but also uh, an athlete uh, throughout uh, the younger part of my life. I played ice hockey. I played uh, volleyball at university, um, softball. And, and for me, you know, I've had several coaches in, in those areas, you know, and those are all team sports. And, um, you know, when I was uh, when I was younger, uh, women in team sports uh, were not as common and certainly not the sports that I played ice hockey way before it became an Olympic sport. And, you know, just passionate about it. So might might be because I grew up, uh, uh, you know, in Michigan, just south of Canada. Um, but, uh, you know, it really those coaches made me realize the importance of team players. And that everyone has a role on a team Uh, and not everyone can be the superstar. Not everyone is going to score all the goals, but everyone is critical uh, to that team success. And when I apply that to, uh, you know, healthcare providers, when I apply that to the team here at Varian, you know, when I think about the people who innovate our products, the people who service and support them or teach and educate, uh, you know, it, it just those coaches helped me to realize the importance of team play collaboration, um, working in service to a larger goal, mm-hmm. and knowing that uh, your colleagues, uh, whether they are your peers or subordinates or your superiors, are all rowing in the same direction to help you achieve that goal. And for me, uh, you know, those sorts of uh, mentors uh, really bit, uh, had a, a major influence and in, in shaped my thinking about uh, being part of a team. Yeah, great. And is there any other examples, particularly during your uh, long time at Varian as well? You know, I've had the luxury of working for three amazing CEOs, um, uh, Dick Levy, Tim Gurton, and and Dow Wilson, who just recently retired actually as of last week. And, you know, each one brought such strength and skill and yet complementary skills. Uh, not duplicative at all. And I had the luxury of learning from each of them. And I would say that the gentleman in particular who really took an interest in helping me navigate the corporate world and supporting me uh, along my career journey was was Tim Gurton. And uh, not only was he brilliant technologically, I mean, a total techno weenie, I mean, if, if uh, truth be told, you know, he was brilliant on the financial side. And, um, you know, his guidance uh, to me, and he did it all with an amazing sense of humor. And his guidance to me uh, was incredibly meaningful because he was not afraid nor uh, nor shy uh, in terms of ensuring that I understood the significance of what my role was um, and what it meant to lead from the front um, and when it was appropriate uh, to take a step back and ensure that your team had the ability to shine. So he really helped, I'll say, um, 
helped develop me uh, from a leadership perspective over the years that I reported directly to him. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, you mentioned there, you know, working for these um, great CEOs who, you know, uh, like you said, uh, some of them are big, you know, techno geniuses. Uh, you know, I understand that Varian's headquarters are based in Palo Alto, which, you know, center of Silicon Valley there, um, famous, you know, birthplace of tech giants. What's it like working in that sort of, I guess, high stakes environment? You know, that's, a, that's an amazing question, Alicia. Uh, Varian was actually, and most people don't know this, we were one of the first two companies in Silicon Valley, way before it was known in Silicon Valley. You know, we're right across the street from Hewlett-Packard, and Hewlett-Packard uh, was the other, the other entity that preceded us. You know, the, the Varian brothers grew up in Halcyon. You may recognize that mm. name. Uh, they grew up in the town of Halcyon, about 180 miles south of, of Palo Alto, which is where Stanford is located, Stanford University. And they literally walked here uh, to, to go to school. And, um, you know, when they graduated, uh, well, one graduated, the other dropped out to become a pilot for Pan Am. Um, you know, they started uh, Varian Brothers and really amazingly brilliant uh, people. They surrounded themselves with top talent. And, you know, back then, um, Silicon Valley really was uh, a bunch of orchards. And uh, today, of course, it's from the most expensive real estate in the world. Yeah. Uh, I will say the brothers, in addition to being technologically brilliant, uh, I'm not sure they knew they were being this real estate savvy. Uh, but uh, we have a hundred year lease uh, in Silicon Valley. We have 30 years to go um, and we pay a dollar a year on our lease. So, <laughs> uh, you know, every time, every time uh, the, to Stanford, that is, and every time Stanford comes and knocks on the door, they're like, we'd like to talk to you about uh, renegotiating this lease. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll, see, we'll see you in 30 years. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, kudos to the Varian brothers. But, um, you know, being in the Valley uh, is really a unique environment. And as you note, you know, the pace is incredibly quick. And what it means for us at Varian is that we have the opportunity to work with, you know, uh, giants of, of technology and innovation for artificial intelligence, for example. And, you know, uh, we've got relationships with Google, uh, with Facebook, um, you know, and as we think about uh, how do we take some of those best user experiences that mm. they really focus on and, and how do we factor that into our thinking? about user experience and what can we learn from Apple, for example, around design. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and we do very much um, uh, attempt to work closely with those other entities that have such, you know, best in class practices around some of these elements and what can we learn from them? What can we share with them? And as you, as you know, you know, they are very interested in healthcare as well and applying their expertise to, to the field and looking for partners such as Varian so that uh, we can hopefully move the needle together on, on healthcare in a, in a big way. But it's a, it's an exciting place in the world to live. I, I cannot, uh, I cannot deny that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned there a lot about the importance of partnerships and, you know, going back to when you were talking about the great partnership that Icon has with Varian as well. Um, can you expand a little bit more on on this long-term relationship that we've had as well? Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I mean, I'll just start with Mark. Uh, we have had, I'll just say, the, the pleasure of, of interacting with Mark Middleton for many years before Icon even existed. Yeah. And I think 
even then we recognized, you know, his his brilliance and his uh, generosity of spirit, I think, which is completely unmatched. Um, and I think as he, you know, uh, went through his career, we kept close and, uh, the work that icon, you know, under his leadership and, uh, as well as the entire managing team there has just been truly exceptional. And as we get to know and learn more about your vision and uh, what you have uh, planned for the future, uh, you know, I think for us, uh, it is, just a, a real pleasure to have the opportunity to work with people who focus on the patient and put the patient at the center of everything that you do, because there are other groups, um, you know, who have the same perhaps structure um, and, and um, intention, but not the vision around patient centricity. And that's something that we absolutely respect and admire. And for us uh, partnering together on bringing new technologies uh, to patient care is is incredibly important and high on our list of priorities for the company. Yeah, and something that I think you know, even you know, Varian does so well as well. Um, although you're not exactly front of line of that patient, like everything that uh, the messaging is very clear that the patient is at the center of everything Varian does as well. It, it absolutely is, you know, and and one thing I I try to. Um, uh, ensure that I put forth in generally is that we have over 400 people in our organization. And that number const- is constantly growing with clinical backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was so incredibly proud of being able to put in place at Varian was a medical affairs department. So, uh, you know, our chief medical officer, Dr. Deepak Kuntia, you know, one of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, Tim and Dow said to me, because we, we had used, uh, well, I say used, that's not the right word. We had leveraged our relationships with brilliant physicians um, to help us think about technology and, and products uh, that would be meaningful in the clinic. And, uh, you know, and we had, well, as I said, over 400 RTTs and dosimetrists and physicists on board, but we had never really focused on bringing that physician perspective to the forefront mm. and building our medical affairs team. Uh, we now have multiple thought leading physicians, whether it's in interventional uh, solutions, uh, whether it's in um, biology studies, and we have our own labs here in Palo Alto as well now, which is unusual for a med tech company, um, or bringing in thought leading uh, radiation oncology physicians. Uh, It really has changed our perspective. And we really look at, you know, our portfolio and product development through a new lens that Mm. is brought beyond just the physicist and having a medical physics background, you know, for me, it was like, okay, it's time to do this. Um, And we need to ensure that we take all uh, users of our systems into account as we put together a a vision for the future. Yeah, absolutely. So that actually leads me quite well into this next question about what would you say were the defining moments in your career? Because it sounds like, you know, you played a very significant role in that medical affairs section. Uh, you know, for me in my in my career, I think that some of the biggest, um, I'll just say, decision points for me were, you know, whether I wanted to stay in the clinic or move into industry. And we chatted about that a little bit. And mm. you know, it's it's a tough transition at first. Um, uh, but, I, you know, I think uh, navigating successfully and I'm incredibly proud of the fact, that, as I said, that we have hundreds of people who have done that at Berry and, and they bring that 
uh, that uh, perspective that is so incredibly important that we never lose in terms of supporting healthcare providers and product development. You know, whether I would go for a, a grad school, a technology degree such as medical physics or an MBA and, you know, pursue sort of maybe a healthcare administrative pathway, mm-hmm. that also was a, a big defining moment for me to pursue medical physics. Um, willing to take professional risk. Uh, one of the things that, um, Tim and Dow came to me. Well, let's see, I ran oncology systems for seven years. I was the president of that division. Before that, for six years, I ran our, our customer support services business. You know, my background was technology. My background was clinical. I had run engineering and product management and marketing. And they came to me and said, we'd like you to run services. And I'm like, well, what exactly does that entail? And it was, well, it was field service. It was installation. It was project management. It was training and education. It was logistics. It was help desk. And I said, you know, I, I really don't know a lot about that. And they looked at me and basically with a twinkle in their eye, they just said, exactly. This is uh, <laughs> this is an opportunity for you to grow, Colleen. And, and, and you know, Alicia, one of the things that and I, I decided to take that risk um, and it was probably one of the most meaningful and fun times that I had at Varian. And I ran that team for, for six years, several thousand people around the globe, and they're so genuine mm. and so focused on working with the healthcare provider that uh, it really, really meant a lot to me. And uh, it was also just, you know, a tremendous opportunity to learn more about uh, our business and how we serve our customers and their and their patients. Um, you know, and then I would say the, the, the final thing for me that was uh, incredibly important, and this was just about three years ago, was that um, I made a personal decision uh, not to pursue the CEO role. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that a lot of people looked at me and said, are you insane? You know, you, you've, you've earned this, you know, the Dow and the board, they're like, Colleen, you know, you are the successor. This is, this is what, uh, you know, this is what uh, you should do. And um, this is what people are expecting. And I said, you know, I appreciate what other people expect. Um, I absolutely, you know, believe that uh, I, I've earned the, uh, this opportunity, and thank you so much for having the confidence in me mm. to offer that to me. Uh, but I also know what's imp- most important to me, and I know, um, you know, what's important to me at this point in time in my life. And I would just simply say to the other women uh, who are listening to this podcast. Um, you really need to understand what's most important to you in, in your life. And as you take your journey, and this may change, of course, this is going to be fluid, mm. uh, you know, in different stages of your of your professional journey, that self-knowledge is critical. So you can make the right decisions for you, despite what other people's expectations or hopes are, uh, decisions that you would make. And I am so immensely comfortable uh, with that decision. And... Mm ability to have passed the baton on to Chris Toth, uh, who is, uh, you know, uh, Varian's new CEO uh, as of last Thursday mm-hmm. um, and now in retirement. And I could not be more incredibly proud of, I think, the, the position and the role that he is going to uh, take Varian to in the future as part of Siemens Health and Yours. Yeah, wonderful. So what made you come to that decision? You know, you mentioned that it was it was about what what was make, what was most important to you? How did you come to that decision yourself? You know, you, you um, take a, a look at um, uh, what different roles entail. 
Um, and a lot of being, and this of course was before Siemens Health and Ears, right? So this was mm. three years ago. Um, you know, being a company uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, you would spend a lot of time with financial analysts, uh, a lot of time focusing on the the, uh, uh, the numbers of the business. Uh, and, you know, for me, uh, while that's incredibly important for successful business to succeed and continue, and let's face it, you have to, you have to be solid, you have to be uh, steady and sustainable, you have to be able to invest back in your people and in, in technology and innovation, um, you do also need to, uh, for me anyways, what I found most exciting was interacting with healthcare providers, um, continuing to stay on top on technology that was coming on board that really could help change things for patients. Um, the, the creation of Halcyon, uh, you know, I made a decision for the first time ever at Varian that we were going to take a team and basically sequester them. And people were asking, what happened to Joe? <laughs> and Joe was working on Halcyon, along with several hundred other people, under an NDA, kind of in a roped-off <laughs> section that you had to have a literal, uh, almost a passport to get into. Wow. And, and having the ability to take those risks, um, you know, and, and for me was what was most exciting. And, and then coupling that with you know, where I am in uh, my career um, and some family, um, you know, challenges at that mm-hmm. time, you put it all together. And for me, it was the right decision. And, I, and, and that's, again, what I would just encourage people to take a look at your priorities, you know, across uh, the different aspects of, of your life and who you are and make the decisions that are going to help you be fulfilled um, in, uh, in every aspect of your life, um, as well as your career. Mm. Yeah, so I think you've touched on a, a little bit about that. But, you know, what have been the biggest challenges that you face then? Yeah, you know, throughout throughout my career, I, I've always wanted to go faster. Um, <laughs> and, like, you know, how can we get things done faster, never sacrificing quality, but mm. really driving things forward to uh, success, you know, with the, uh, with the intention of truly um, – helping more people and uh, going more broadly around the world. You know, I had the opportunity to go to a meeting at the, at the UN um, a few years ago where we had the first ladies of Africa present and they were all focused on cancer care in their countries. And for many of them, it was the first time that they were putting together a national cancer plan uh, that, uh, you know, there was uh, basically um, uh, pivoting from, communicable diseases to non-communicable diseases. Mm-hmm. And of course, cancer, if it's not number one on the list, it's number two or number three. And, uh, you know, it was such an opportunity to hear from these women, um, their thoughts and, uh, you know, their, their needs in their countries. And for me, knowing what needed to be done and yet finding ways to go fast enough to really help people across that great continent, uh, you know, over 40 countries and the different languages, the different religions, the different cultures, uh, and finding a way to do that successfully. Uh, you know, we've been investing uh, in other emerging markets around the globe, and how can we go faster uh, to really bring more equitable quality care to cancer patients in need? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing that was a challenge for me. And then I'll just describe one other one, Alicia, and that was um, 
when we are informed of catastrophic misadministrations. Uh, and this one was always something that, uh, you know, you just, when you have a clinical background, uh, you know, it's just something that you take emotionally because you never want to hear about that occurring uh, for any patient around the globe. And, you know, and working with all the community stakeholders, uh, whether that was the healthcare providers themselves, regulatory agencies, um, the, the, the vendors as well, uh, in putting in place um, better quality standards, you know, how do we, uh, you can never ensure things, but how do we uh, put systems in place, then I'll, I'll quote the the president of the AAPM who said to me once, Colleen, you have to prevent us from doing stupid things. And, uh, you know, and to hear the president of the American Association of Physicists and Medicine say something like that, you're like, okay, I get it, you know, and, um, you know, and how do we make sure that we can anticipate the non-happy path uh, that healthcare providers under pressure may take, uh, you know, um, ignoring warning messages? How do we design a better system so that you don't get warning fatigue from messages on the system? You know, and, and I think there were just so many learnings along the way across the entire community that have really helped us uh, move forward and significantly reducing these catastrophic misadministrations because anytime mm -hmm. that happens, the entire field gets a black eye. And for me, I always took that to heart mm -hmm. as one of the key areas that I wanted to focus on. And that was patient safety so that we could drastically reduce and hopefully uh, eliminate um, these catastrophic misadministrations. Yeah, that's interesting. So for those that uh, listen to this, you know, and that don't have that uh, medical physicist background, um, can you tell me more about how important you know, physicists are to this whole patient safety in radiation. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, the physicists, you know, are in some ways, um, and I, uh, you know, I, I want to characterize it this because everyone is such a hero in healthcare uh, today. And, you know, as we think about cancer care, especially navigating through the pandemic, what a, what a challenge it's been for, for these patients and, and healthcare providers um, uh, over the past uh, months. Medical physicists, you know, in particular, I think are some of the people who maybe go under the radar a little bit uh, because many times they work at night, they work in the background and, you know, their role truly is to focus on ensuring that what that physician prescribes for that patient in terms of dose and the, the geography of that dose and how it gets delivered and the avoidance of organs at risk, that's a significant part of their job to make sure that the equipment is operating correctly, that the information transitions from the treatment planning system to the information system to the treatment delivery system well, that they've got the right QA programs in place for the systems themselves, but also for individual patient plans. You know, and as technology, we were talking about this earlier, as technology and treatment protocols have become so sophisticated, the onus upon the medical organization and community really has grown significantly. Um, and that's where, you know, the, phys the physicians are like, oh, my God, I've got to take this new protocol. Let's get this rolling. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, you know, and it really is to a certain extent, slightly different cultural view from a physics perspective. It's like, all right, we are going to get there. 
but I need to, you know, I need to do this check. I need to make sure that this is working properly. Let's, let's put in place proper procedures. Let's train everyone and let's ensure that when we implement these amazing and creative new um, protocols, that it's done safely and effectively for patient care. And for me, the medical physicists are very much uh, the ones who put the guardrails in place for implementing uh, new techniques, new technology, mm-hmm. uh, but doing it in a safe and effective way. Yeah. You mentioned there, um, you know, how much the world has been hit by the pandemic. How how did COVID change uh, or affect Varian? You know, uh, it's for us, uh, because we have a bit of a global view, um, it's uh, what we've seen is the amazing resiliency of, of uh, people in general, um, our community. Uh, we do know that we're beginning to see around the globe a bolus of cancer patients uh, presenting themselves with late stage disease mm-hmm. because people were afraid to go to hospitals. They did not get their uh, regular checkups. Um, women were not getting their mammograms. Um, you know, men were not getting their standard prostate exams. So we're starting to see that bolus come through. And I'm sure this is probably something that the ICON group is Mm -hmm. seeing as well. Um, So I think that there is going to be a real strain on the cancer systems around the globe over the next 12, 24, and perhaps even 36 months as the world learns how to manage Mm -hmm. uh, COVID-19 and all of its variants. Um, successfully, and I hope, knock on wood, uh, that uh, that we are going to be in a better place uh, in the next three to six uh, months around the world uh, with respect to this this pandemic. Um, but I think it is going to have, and it is already having. We're seeing a meaningful impact on cancer patient care. Yeah, and how is Varian, you know, set to tackle that increase of cancer incidents? You know, it's it's absolutely one of the things we're focusing on. Uh, you know, I, I I'm so incredibly proud of the the systems that we we provide. You know, when you think about uh, the TrueBeam system um, and the thousands of machines we have out there, I mean, they are treating in some parts of the world, um, you know, 65, uh, 75, 80 patients a day on a TrueBeam in Halcyon. Uh, is regularly treating over 100 patients a day. We have a few sites in India that are treating 200 patients a day on Halcyon. And that was one of the key elements of our design as we were thinking about Halcyon. And that is small, fit it into a cobalt room, Mm. Uh, you know, uh, sustainable design. Uh, So in other words, very energy efficient. Uh, And how can we treat the broadest uh, suite of, of uh, capabilities for different disease sites uh, and do it quickly and uh, with high quality and efficiently. Uh, and that really for us was, you know, moving in that direction back when we envisioned the design for that. Uh, in a pandemic world, we have been taking more and more advantage like everyone else of virtual capabilities mm-hmm. uh, as much as possible. Um, um, our teams have been local teams have been using, for example, Google glasses <laughs> and we do, we, uh, we connect with those and we get our experts in the factory, uh, you know, if there are issues in the field where they can help them out remotely and they're seeing, yeah. uh, you know, what's happening on site. So really exploring it's accelerated our desire, uh, and our ability, I'll say to do more, uh, virtually, whether it's e-learning, uh, or whether it's remote service and support. 
Yeah, it's amazing that that's sort of the overarching thing about this pandemic, isn't it? Like businesses have had to or have, you know, I guess forced to accelerate this use of technology. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think, again, I mean, I, I know this word has almost become overused in, the, in the, the pandemic world that we're in, but that level of resiliency of yeah. the human spirit has just been inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, Colin, you've touched on this a bit throughout the conversation, but um, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to other aspiring women out there? You know, I would say um, a great quote from Nelson Mandela, and I, I absolutely love this, and that is, you know, if you can develop a good head and a good heart, it's a formidable combination. And I absolutely believe in that 120%. You know, I I've always found that people um, who give who give their all um, uh, is, uh, for me, incredibly powerful. And I think it's a balance between a good head and a good heart that really will set someone for success uh, in their in their career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Colleen, we've had such an incredible conversation here today, uh, and I think you know, you know you have a lot to be proud of um, in your in your forty plus. Uh, career there. Um, we're reaching the end of the podcast now, uh, but uh, we'll just finish with some quick by five questions. Uh, mm-hmm. So what book are you reading at the moment? Well, uh, I know this sounds a little old fashioned. I apologize for that. I gave myself a goal of reading the classics. Uh, so right now I'm in the middle of Tess of the Durbervilles by yeah. uh, Tom Hardy. Yep. How are you finding it so far? It's a, you it's know, a it's, big read. <laughs> It is a big read, you know, and it's uh, it's the language cadence is so different from yeah. today's, you know, but it, it is a really heartfelt story kind of about the human yeah. spirit, you know, kind of battered down by forces of social hierarchy, mm. you know, and that's it, a theme that's still seen too often today. So in that regard, it is a classic and it is still quite uh, impactful. Yeah. Um, and question two is name the top three iconic women that you'd have on a girls weekend with. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, excuse me, would be top of my list just mm-hmm. for the, the, you know, the brilliance and the compassion that she brought, uh, brought uh, to her office um, as the wife of the president. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, just because she's a total badass. And um, probably Maya Angelou, who yeah. also I thought made a great statement once is that, you know, people won't remember what you say or what you did, mm-hmm. but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And where would that weekend be? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, if we Las could Vegas. travel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, it would have to be Las Vegas because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> question three is, if you had a spirit animal, what would it be and why? Um, I had to think about this one a little bit. I've never actually thought about a spirit animal. So I had to do a little bit of research, which maybe is pathetic in and of itself. But if I had to give give myself a spirit animal, I'd have to say I would be a joyful tiger because they're patient and they're fiercely persistent. And I say a joyful tiger uh, because I consider myself probably like a tigger. Uh, from Winnie the Pooh, um, you know, because life is not about how fast you run or how high you climb, but, but how well you bounce. Yeah, absolutely. I did wonder, I was like, oh, why a joyful tiger? <laughs> but Tigger does make sense. <laughs> and what's your guilty pleasure? 
Oh, I think probably like many women around the world right now, it's Bridgerton. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'll just say, <laughs> Simon, Simon in particular, let's just, then I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> no words need to be said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the last question, Colleen, is what would your last meal be? Uh, it would have to be me. Um, I am passionate about cooking. I would, uh, it would be me cooking for my family and friends, lots of love and laughter and my famous short ribs. Oh, lovely. Sounds perfect, Colleen. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us today. It has it has been such an inspiration learning about your career and all the amazing things that you, you and Varian have been doing. Thank you, Alicia. Really appreciate it. Great to get to know you a little bit and have the chat. Uh, always, uh, always an honor.